Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Hello, my name's Dee Dee Dunleavy. I'm Chanel Feller. And those are our voices that we use when we're recording something. It's a podcast called Dead Bodies. Um, Chanel. Yes. Everyone wants to guess where you would hide a dead body. I know, and I'm worried that someone is actually going to guess the spot. And then if I, I have to think quickly, if I lie or tell the truth. I'm watching. I wish I had like... A, a, like a graph on your face and every twitch and every like lines, mm. like what are they, you know, on the earth? Things, Analyze my face. What are they called? You know, the up and down lines and oh. the round, the equator when it goes across your nose. And it's a graph and I can follow and see if there's anything to give away, mm. whether this is right. Okay. One of our emails, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com, is from Basma and Sabrina. Okay. They're working together. Hi, Chanel and Dee Just a heads up. Every couple of days, we will be sending you our ideas as to where Chanel would hide a dead body. We are very, in capital letters, invested in this matter what? and fully intend to solve this mystery. What? So, number one, a junkyard car crushing facility. Wrong. Warm regards, Basma and Sabrina. Wrong. Okay. Two days later, another email. Oh, when did Hi. they start sending you? How many days? <laughs> Two days later. Hi again. Number two. Just straight into it. There's no hello. There's oh, nothing. There's, 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 no. I love them. Hi again. Number two. A landfill. We fi- hear them out. No, I don't think it's right because your eyes went up. Okay. We figure the body would just get lost among all the other rubbish. Also, the whole place would smell awful, so the smell of the body decomposing wouldn't really stand out. Happy Friday, Basma and Sabrina. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rate these places because they're wrong. Mm. First one, they said junkyard. Yep. Bodies get found in junkyards, so I'm going to say five out of ten. It's not my spot. Mm -hmm. Landfill, landfill's quite good because I understand, again, the smell, but it's not my spot. It's been done before. That's not your spot? spot. Okay. Um, It's five out of ten as well. They haven't finished, though. Oh. Okay, because the next day they sent another email. (laughs) Hello! Exclamation mark. Number three, getting straight into it. The high girls, nothing. Number three, an abattoir. If Chanel plans to cut the body into pieces anyway, it might just blend in with all the other dead bodies that would be found in an abattoir. Hope you have a good weekend. Basma and Sabrina. I love Basma and Sabrina, but it's wrong. Because okay. you'd have to be able to get into an abattoir. How would I get in there? There's another one. Oh. <clears throat> that, this one came this morning. Good morning. <laughs> Number four, elevator shaft. Because who in their right mind would check underneath an elevator for a body? We realise these emails will probably get quite tedious quite fast, so feel free to totally ignore it. So no, we won't be doing that because we love you. Elevator shaft is wrong. Everyone would smell it in the building. P.S. We haven't mentioned it yet, but we love your podcast. Thank you, Basma and Sabrina. Elevator shaft? No, wrong. All right. I think that's a, that gets a lower score. That's a two out of ten because everyone they get maintained. Mm. People live in those buildings. Yep. I'm so glad that no one can guess it because it means it's a really good spot. I would like to enter at this point a guess of my own, and I think I've got it. Okay, go I really on. do think I do. Okay, I think you would put the body into the boot of a car. Okay, you would drive to a petrol station. Oh. You would take the lid off the wherever they put the big underground tank where all the petrol goes. You would drop the body into the big fuel tank. Wrong. Oh. 
The petrol, the fuel would just become contaminated and ruin people's cars and they'd be driving around and their cars would conk how, out and no, they would they check wouldn't that. No, they wouldn't know. How would they, how, they it would take that. forever. They all drive off in different directions. They wouldn't all compare notes and say, hey, I got my... I love how far-fetched you're getting. Because, yeah, but because you said the other day when I said I'd put it on the roof and you said, oh, no, you'd drop it down. I thought, okay, where's she dropping it down? Mm. What's below? And I was getting petrol and I went, ah, ha, ha, ha. No. You'd have to know someone with a petrol station who you'd have to convince. No, you would do it when no No. one was looking. So the the key to murdering someone that I have discovered is it has to be a solo project. You can't get anyone else involved. You can't tell your sister. You can't tell your best friend. You can't tell your husband unless they're the one that you murdered. Then they know because they're dead. But you just can't tell anyone. You have to be able to do it on your own. Yeah, whatever. can't go to petrol stations and, you know, you'll end up at a petrol station and they'll have a docket special where the petrol's cheap and there'll be a line out the It's like you're lying. You're saying too much. When people are lying, they say too much. I feel like it was the petrol station and you won't admit it. You've now got to think of somewhere else. I have a story for you. This is the story of, and I've got pictures tonight. I printed them out because you always rather rudely Google while I, I on your iPhone while I'm talking to you about I'm something. To you at the you, same time, but well, I you do. don't need to. Put it down. Oh. I'm going to make you put it in a basket at the door. All right. Well, your phone will go off during this episode, no doubt. So the, No, I figured out how to make Siri not talk to me. It was an automatic. It's a new phone. It was, oh, shut up. Okay. This is the story of a 14-year-old boy who died in 1955. You may know about this boy, but I'm telling it anyway. His mutilated body was pulled from the Tallahatchie River in Mississippi and his mother insisted on an open coffin so people could see what had been done to him. She said, let the people see what they did to my boy. I believe that the whole United States is mourning with me. So this is the story of Emmett Till, the boy who whistled. Kirsten is nodding. She knows what it's about. I don't know this story. So Emmett Till was born in 1941 in Chicago. His father had died, so his mother, Mamie, raised him. And when he was six, he contracted polio, which left him with a stutter. And he had difficulty pronouncing B sounds. And sometimes he whistled to help with his speech. And his mother would make him do vocal exercises. I had a lisp. Did you? Yeah. wouldn't know it now. You speak beautifully. Well, because my mum's Sri Lankan and my dad's Maltese, and I think people were speaking to me in too many different languages, so I had to go to ESL oh. English, English. Yes. There okay, keep going. It came back. <laughs> English is the second language. Take back what I said about the speaking stuff. Even though English was my first language. Sorry, I've interjected. That's a, no, I'm happy with interjections. Uh, Mamie said he was a happy boy, helped with his chores. He and his cousins played pranks on each other. There was some story about they'd gone on a long car trip and his friend fell asleep and Emmett put, Emmett put his underwear on the other guy's head and that was the very height of humour in 1955. Oh. Um, they played baseball together. He was described as a natty dresser, which I'm going to assume meant a bow tie in those days for a young man. Uh, was often the centre of attention among his mates, so a good kid. In summer of 1955, he was visiting relatives near the town of Money in the Mississippi Delta region. It was a small town, just three shops. Uh, there was a school, a post office, a cotton gin, whatever that is. And just a few hundred people living there. On this particular day, Emmett and his cousin had been picking cotton. So they went to Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market to buy some candy. And while Emmett was there, he spoke to 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant, who was the wife of the owner of the store. Uh, She was alone in the store at the time. Now, what he actually said or did is not exactly known. At this point, I have a photograph to show you. That's Emmett and that's Carolyn. Carolyn. 
He looks a nice young man, doesn't he? He does. And she's very pretty. Those photos will be up on our social media. They will. Now, some people say that the local boys had dared Emmett to speak to Carolyn, which is not such a big deal. But to give the story context, Emmett was Mm African-American and Carolyn was white and it's 1955. So according to some versions, Emmett wolf-whistled at Carolyn even his um, his own cousin, Simeon Wright, who was with him, said that he whistled. He said, I think Emmett wanted to get a laugh out of us or something. And he said the whistle scared him half to death because they couldn't get out of there fast enough. They'd never heard of a black boy whistling at a white woman. But remembering he's got this speech thing, you know, was it a wolf whistle? Who knows? Right. Um, Carolyn's version of what happened was that Emmett grabbed her hand while she was stocking the candy shelves and said, how about a date, baby? She said uh, she pulled her arm away. He followed her to the cash register, grabbed her waist and said, what's the matter, baby? Can't you take it? And then according to her... There is no way a 14-year-old kid is doing any of that. I wish you'd been on the first jury. Uh, According to her, he said, you needn't be afraid of me, baby. And he used, according to her, one unprintable word and said, I've been with white women before. That's what she reckoned. No way. No way any kid of any colour is saying that. Well, interestingly, more than 50 years later, when she was 72... She was interviewed by an historian by the name of Timothy Tyson, and she admitted that the whole thing had been a lie, that all of those words weren't true. And she actually said at that time, nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. So um, Emmett paid for his items and the two boys left the store. Now, apparently Carolyn went outside to get a gun from underneath the seat of a car. They saw her do that and they ran off. Later that day, she didn't say anything to her husband, Roy Bryant, about what happened. By all accounts, she he was... She didn't go home and lie to her husband. No, because by all accounts, he was a rather unpleasant man. She was afraid of him and she was worried that Roy would go and beat the boy up. But Roy was told about what had happened by somebody who had oh, been hanging no. around down at the store. So a few nights later, Roy and his half-brother, a guy called J.W. Milam, armed themselves with a torch and a gun and they went to the house where Emmett was staying. They went to the house two o'clock in the morning. They got Emmett. They made him get dressed. They marched him out to the back of their truck. They tied him up. They pistol whipped him and they knocked him unconscious and they drove him to a barn. It's pretty horrible, this story. Um, A witness said he heard the beating and the crying from the barn, and another witness later saw a man at the back of the barn washing blood off the truck. So Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam put Emmett on the back of the tray of the truck. They drove him for several miles along the river. Then they stopped and they shot him. They weighted his body with a fan, this huge, heavy piece of metal, and they threw his body in the water. Uh, It wasn't long before they were arrested for kidnapping. Obviously, people back at the house knew that it was them that had come and taken him. Right. I was about to get mad then that he'd only mm. been arrested for kidnapping, but the family at this stage obviously don't know that he's dead. But they don't know where Emmett is. They just know that he's been kidnapped by these two men. And the men actually admitted to taking him, but they said that they released him the same night in front of the store. Three days later, Emmett's swollen and disfigured body was found by two boys who were fishing in the Tallahatchie River. Because, you know, you release a kid in front of a store and they just decide to not go home. Yeah. Where else is a 14-year-old kid going to go after they're beaten if that's what they're... Exactly. 
So the body, when they found it, the head was just mutilated. He'd been shot above the right ear. One eye was dislodged from the socket. Mm. He was naked. He'd been beaten on the back and the hips and his body weighed down by the fan. It had been tied around his neck with barbed wire. Um, there's a photo. Oh Take it. Lord. I don't want it. It's it's horrible. Uh, we will put these pictures up on our Facebook page, etc. A disclaimer, though, that photo is horrific. It is. So if it is. you do not want to see distressing photos, do don't not look. look at that because that is almost even too distressing for me and I like disgusting mm. things. So Emmett's body was dressed. They packed it in lime. They put it into a pine coffin and prepared it for burial and his mother, Mamie, demanded it be sent back to Chicago. The relatives who came there to identify the body said the stench was noticeable from two blocks away. Mm. And Mamie, given all of that, insisted on a public funeral service with an open casket. She said, there was no way I could describe what was in that box. There's just no way. And I wanted the world to see. So in exposing his body to the world, she focused attention on US racism, in particular, the lack of black civil rights in Mississippi. Tens of thousands of people lined up outside the mortuary to view the body, and thousands more attended his funeral. Photos of Emmett's body were widely published. Time magazine, I've just printed this one out for you too, chose a picture of Mamie standing over the body. They have chosen that as one of their 100 most influential images of all time. They said for almost a century, African-Americans were lynched with regularity and impunity. The public could no longer pretend to ignore what they couldn't see. So a month after all of that happened, um, the two men, Bryant and Mylam, were sent to trial. Now, just to set the scene on the mood of the time of the trial, mm. a week before Emmett Till had arrived in Mississippi for that holiday, a black activist named Lamar Smith had been shot and killed in front of the county courthouse in Brookhaven for political organising. Three white suspects were arrested, but they were released. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was around that time the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled to end segregation in public schools and the whites were resisting that, as we know. Um, One Virginia county closed all its public schools to prevent integration and others just ignored the ruling. Some responded with even harsher segregation. So it was an awful time in, in American history. The reporting of the case, this particular case, was really inflammatory. At one point, Mamie told a reporter that she would be asking for legal aid to help law enforcement find her son's killers and that the state of Mississippi should share the cost of that search. She was misquoted in print as saying, Mississippi is going to pay for this. There was such a, a bent. I mean, it's... I don't want to mention Trump and As fake news. we all news, are rolling but... our eyes. Again, we've forgotten we're on a podcast, but we're all rolling our eyes at that. Exactly. And again, with one of these photos, I think I've touched on this before where I've said to you that families grieving for me is actually more terrifying than dead bodies. And oh. in one of these photos, which we'll put up on our social media, it's the parents standing over Emmett's body. And mm. the sadness is so yeah. torturous. On I think that's face. his great uncle. The father's not in the picture, which I'll get to in a minute, but... um. There's another picture, which knowing that that's a sensitive thing for you, I actually didn't bring it, but there's a picture of Mamie collapsing in grief over the coffin and it's just so distressing to look at. So distressing. 
in the newspapers, the pictures that they ran of Bryant and Milam, they were shown smiling and wearing their military uniforms as though, look at these wonderful young men. How could this be that they've been charged with this? Uh, a lot was written about Carolyn Bryant's beauty and virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, the day before the trial started, it was discovered that there were two witnesses to the murder. They were black employees of J.W. Milam's brother in whose shed Emmett had been beaten. The sheriff booked them into a jail in Mississippi to keep them from testifying. The trial lasted for five days. The courtroom was absolutely packed. I mean, this was really the big case of the time. The seating was segregated. I thought you might be interested in this being a court reporter yourself at the moment. Black reporters had to sit separately from the white press and it was apparently like a circus in the courtroom. The sheriff now, I won't use the actual N word, but because I know how offensive it is to many people, um, everyone actually, the sheriff at one stage apparently welcomed the black spectators back from lunch and said, hello, N-word. Jury members were allowed to drink beer on duty and many white male spectators wore handguns. Uh, Emmett's great uncle, Mose I need to Wright, stop. Yes. Besides the fact of greeting people in mm. that way, mm. horrific, you've got a jury who's drunk. They're drunk and they're carrying handguns and they're all white males. Of course. Emmett's great uncle, Mose Wright, and you imagine in that scene, in, in a courtroom being run like that, he stood up to testify and one journalist actually called his testimony the most dramatic thing I saw in my career because he um, he testified that he had seen one of the accused clearly on the night that Emmett was abducted. It was considered remarkably brave for him to do that because for a black man to testify to the guilt of a white man in the context of those times and, and the mood, was just unbelievably brave. Uh, Mamie t- excuse me, testified that she had instructed um, Emmett to mind his manners when he was in Mississippi. If he, he was, She said if he was told to get on his knees and ask forgiveness of a white person, he should do it without a thought. So she was saying there was just no way he would have done anything so disrespectful. The defence questioned her about a life insurance policy she had on po- Emmett's life, and, and uh, she was criticised for not crying enough on the stand. Isn't that like um, Lindy Chamberlain? Yeah. Remember that? Three witnesses testified they heard someone being beaten that night and they heard the cries and they heard the victim call out, Mama, Lord, have mercy. Sheriff Strider, who sounds like a piece of work, he uh, shared his theory that Emmett was actually alive, that the body that was pulled from the river wasn't him, that it was a white body. There was also a suggestion that the body had been planted by civil rights activists. So they had killed a black person, planted it in the bo- in the river. I just can't to make even a point. deal with the utter fuckwittery that no. comes from this kind of. I don't want to say story because it's not just a story. This happened. It happened. It's beyond belief that it actually happened. It's so shameful. A doctor got up and testified that the body was too decomposed to identify, and therefore it had been in the water too long for it to be Emmett. So eventually, as I mentioned, the all-white, all-male jury, so women and blacks were banned from from jury duty. They deliberated for just over an hour and they acquitted both the defendants Mm. of murder. They were also cleared of kidnapping, even though they'd both admitted to taking Emmett on that night. So uh, it was a few weeks later, two senators from Mississippi, because Mississippi really was, you know, the rest of the country was appalled by this as well, and they were looking at Mississippi as like you guys down there. So two senators from down there fed a story to the press about Emmett's father. He had served in the army in Italy and had been charged with raping two women and killing a third, and he was court-martialed and hanged near Pisa in 1945. So they were more interested in talking about that 
than they were in trying to identify the body. They hadn't even tried to do that. It was three months later, in December of 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott began in Alabama, which I'm sure you have heard about. So this was the US Supreme Court had ruled that segregated buses were unconstitutional. And Rosa Parks, who I'm sure you've heard of, she refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white passenger. And she later said that when she was asked to get up and move to the back of the bus, I thought of Emmett Till and I just couldn't go back. So he was incredibly inspirational for for others who were fighting that fight at that time. A year after the trial, after they were set free, Bryant and Mylam were paid some big money to tell their story to a magazine called Look. And they admitted in that interview to shooting Emmett, which prompted civil rights leaders to push the federal government even harder to look back at the case. And that led to the Civil Rights Act of 1957, which gave the US Department of Justice the power to intervene in local law if civil rights had been compromised there. So another 50 years later, 2005... A new investigation of the crime was launched by the Department of Justice and it exhumed Emmett's, Emmett Till's body and an autopsy was carried out. DNA analysis confirmed that it was, it was him. It's just awful. So but, stupid that they even had to do that. Mm, like, But they had to because... Just to clear all, it up, I yeah, think. And Mamie would have wanted that. Yeah. Um, the body had extensive cranial damage, a broken left femur, two broken wrists, Metallic fragments found in the skull were bullets from a forty-five caliber gun. So Emmett was reburied in a new casket. His um, his original casket was lost for a little while, but it was eventually found in a storage shed at the cemetery. Animals, animals have been living in it, but it's now on display at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. In 2007, the Department of Justice looked into whether anyone other than Milam and Bryant were involved. And in 2007, a grand jury made up of mostly black jurors at this time, they didn't find sufficient cause for charges against Carolyn Bryant, given that she had now admitted that she lied back with her original testimony. It's such a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Mm. Like if she just had of palmed it off as kids, just yeah. being silly and never said anything and yeah. he would still be alive. Yeah. Uh, this year... In a report to Congress in March 2018, the Department of Justice said it was reopening the investigation into Emmett's death due to unspecified new information. So if there are any updates, we'll certainly mention those to you. If you're wondering what happened to Bryant and Mylam, in the town where the murder happened, blacks boycotted the shops of people who'd supported the murderers, so they went bankrupt and closed. Um, J.W. Mylam got a alone somehow to plant cotton, but blacks refused to come and work for him, so he had to hire white workers who cost him much, much more. He and Bryant moved to Texas. People there didn't want them, so they returned to Mississippi, and over the years, Milam sounded like quite a piece of work. He was um, picked up on a number of different things, assault and battery, writing bad checks, using a stolen credit card. He died of spinal cancer in 1980, the age of 61. Don't feel bad. No. And Bryant worked as a welder, but he started going blind, which is a common thing with welders because of those bright sparks that they see. He could no longer work. He and Carolyn divorced. He opened another store and was convicted of food stamp fraud. He died of cancer in 1994, the age of 63. How are you feeling about that? Great. Don't care. He went to his grave denying that he had killed Emmett. He said that Emmett had ruined his life. Oh, of course. 
Emmett Till is dead. I don't know why he can't just stay dead, he said. Um, Mamie, Emmett's mother, became a teacher and she continued to educate people about her son's murder. And to finish on on something a bit more positive, he still remembered Emmett Till in many ways. There are 51 different sites in the Mississippi Delta that are associated with him. The courthouse has been restored. There's a number of markers and things. Um, There was a song. There was one written by Bob Dylan which is performed by Joan Baez called The the Ballad of Emmett Till. Um, 60 Minutes ran a report on the murder in 2005 and they tracked down Carolyn Bryant and interviewed her at her home. There's a section of road has been named after Emmett Till. So he certainly hasn't been forgotten. And I think the nicest thing of all, there is a statue in Colorado featuring Emmett Till with Martin Luther King Jr. And we are talking about him today, which means that, you know... There's something came out of it. That is an awful story, though. It, it is, isn't it? But it, it it was important because I think his legacy was that the laws were changed because of what happened to him. So I'm so sorry that that boy had to die for that to happen. But I bet his wasn't the only death. I mean, lynchings were common in those days, weren't they? It's of horrible. Blacks in that era. My mind can't even begin to understand that. Mm. It just can't. The level of hatred yeah. that was in of, of people towards other people. Regardless of what they look like, it's it. I know it's unfathomable. Dee Dee, do you have a will? Only recently, actually. Yeah, I do now. Really? Yeah. So I'm surprised to learn that about fifty percent of people die without a will. It's not something you think about. I, was, I think about it. I, I think about like, dying. Have you got a will? Well, I think about dying all the time. Yeah, but have as you got you know. a will? Well, I've recently started thinking that I need to write a will. Also, because I have two dogs, and I've said to Nicholas that if I was to die, I don't want him to get a new girlfriend, and she starts taking selfies, like rubbing my dogs into her boozies or something. <laughs> that really bothers me. Yes. So I have said to him, if I die, you don't get to take, keep the dogs, Bruce and Barry. You don't get to keep no, Bruce and Barry. Don't, they go to my dad. No, but Bruce... No, because he will 100% get a new girlfriend and she'll be there taking selfies, holding my dogs will. that are incredibly cute and they'll be right up against her chest and I would... My he burning soul never, would hate ever. that. No, uh, he will never find anyone as wonderful as you. I, he, no. No, but if I die... We, no, I don't... I'm saying it's if I die. So I've like, recently started thinking about dying. Well, no, I've always thought about it, but I've thought about my funeral before and then I've it's... thought... I'm an organ donor because I've thought about that and then I've thought about my will because of my dogs and I have a house. Yes. And I've been thinking that I need to get that in order. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you do. Well, because Nicholas can't just assume everything's going to him because it might not be. Now, it is interesting the way things I'm de facto I remember being confused. because I'm not mar- we're not married. So. No, but it doesn't automatically go to him. I think things automatically go to is it your parents. Is it? Yeah, it's it's unless you specify who everything is to go to, I think it automatically goes back to where you came from. Well, it could be wrong. Just got me thinking about wills and how wills can actually be like a pleasant surprise for some people mm. or a final fuck you. <laughs> okay, potty mouth Bella. <laughs> Right? So yes. I've got a few examples. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. I love this. There's always disputes over wills, isn't it? I know. Well, this has actually worked out well because your story really left me feeling sad. Sorry. We're taking the level up. We're taking it back up. Okay, cool. Okay. So 
a US comedian. Because I've cut people out of mine. Have you? Yep. See, that's such a thing, isn't it? There's like specific my, family oh, members. And they're so – I think I've grown up – all my life with one side of the family, which I won't specify, but for those who are listening, you know who you are. The threat has always been that, like, my grandma, you will not get any of her jewellery. She's jewelry. the one who shanked someone in the not... nursing home. Oh, I just realised one of my grandparents is dead, so it's obviously the other grandma. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, well, she, you know, you won't get any of the jewellery. You're not going to get anything. So-and-so is already put dibs on the necklace and that other person's put dibs on that. It's a real thing in my family. It's right. the Sri Lankan side and I think that's just what they do. Like that's – and cutting people out of your will can be a real Not on threat. my side, on my husband's side. You've cut them out. Well, he cut them out. Oh, oh boy, I'm going to be in so much we trouble. We might have to edit that <laughs> yeah, bit. No, 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 leave it in there. It's all right. Um, I don't care if they know. See, it's such a thing, Wills. I'm cutting you out. You're not getting a necklace. Yeah. But then people can be nice. So a man in the US, yep. he died in 1974 mm-hmm. and he left a contract in his will and allocated money to a florist so that the florist would deliver a red rose to his wife that he left behind every single day. Oh, every day. Every, bit much, right? And what if you go on holiday? Are, yeah. You go on holiday for two weeks, come back, 14 roses oh, on the front door. On. And single roses aren't cheap, I don't think. No. It's not a very economical way to do it. Isn't that nice, though? Is it? Mm. Annoying after a while. It's, it's actually... A, Just do it on your birthday. It's a bit controlling. It's oh. a bit like... Because what if you've got a new boyfriend and the new boyfriend, got, you know, he stayed mm. over for the first time and he opens the door to leave and there's a red rose and he'll think, oh, she's taken. Who's that from? It's a bit... Me dead husband. He does yeah. that. Yeah. It's, no, it's a bit like hanging on. I don't like it. Another man who died, mm-hmm. uh, he was a 67-year-old. He, he lost his life to prostate cancer mm-hmm. uh, and he left Why behind... Why did that have to be specified? Is this going to have something to do with his... No. Okay. He left behind 3,000 pounds to yep. seven of his closest friends on the proviso that they used it for a boozy weekend away in a European city. That's good. That's cool, right? Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I prefer the whole vibe of being happy after death, not, you know, have a cry, go ahead, have a cry, but party on. The Irish yeah. way of doing it, you know? Yeah. Celebrate the good stuff. I do like that. Um, now, I might have to edit this because I'm just reading quickly. Uh <laughs> No, don't. Don't. No. I want people to hear. This is what she does on her phone the whole time. The finger's going oh, up and down the iPhone. I could get to work to print it out in time because I came straight from a trial. Normally I print Leave it in secretly. Kirsten. Yes. But I didn't get time to print today. So now I'm reading off my phone and you're looking at me like, oh, there she is. I'm enjoying rolling. it. Okay. In 2004, a billionaire left instructions for four billion dollars of her fortune to be spent on caring for dogs. That's good. Right? Was her name Oh, there was a woman called Leona Hems- Helmsley? Yes. Yeah. And she left 12 million of it to her 9-year-old Maltese Shih Tzu called Trouble. Wow. Hmm. Was she married? I don't know if she was. Um, well, she left instructions for her grandchildren that they would either be cut out of the will if they didn't visit their father's grave annually. 
I reckon lawyers, this is probably grave, 90%. Not, not you can't visit people's will. No. Would there, but there'd be 90% of their work sorting out family disputes over wills. Absolutely. Yeah. I've read my dad's will. Have you? Yeah. What do you get? Everything. Really? Well, not Share everything, but sister. I've read it. I've read it. <laughs> Dad's left us instructions on what to do when he dies. My dad gave me money the other day for his funeral. Yeah. I kid you not. That's considerate. Yeah. I said, this is awful, Dad. Can we not? And he, he actually sent a check to for, like, and it's for his funeral and wrote a letter with it. So, I should have brought it in to read it to you. My He'll mom, never listen to this. If mum dies, she just dies. My sister and I get everything. Dad's complicated. Dad's a real pen pusher. He really likes to leave. He's got lots of diaries, lots of things, lots of things to do. He's always giving us jobs to do and there will be jobs to do in death. <laughs> but we've got a phone call to make, Chanel. We do. And we're calling Catherine Ashurst, who's actually written us an email. Catherine, how are you? I'm good, girls. How are you? Very well. And thank you for listening to our podcast. It's exciting for us to get feedback in these early stages. And we love that other, oh, people, other people have the same interest as us. Yeah, that it's a bit of a weird interest, but it's no. It's I follow a lot of um, crime investigation podcasts, so coming across this was quite good. It's quite nice to have quite a light-hearted one. (laughs) Thank you. Light-hearted about death. There we go. Now you're in a similar position to myself. A little bit different, actually, but kind of the same. My aunt owns a hotel, and every time I see her, I ask her, "Tell me." the crazy things I was about to swear tell us the effed up things that have happened in the hotel I need Uh to know everything now Catherine you had quite the housemate or probably a housemate I would love to have tell us about that yeah so about um seven years ago I lived in Wellington I, I currently live in Auckland and I moved in with a flatmate who was a funeral director and I don't know um how many funeral directors do everything that he did in Balming as well. Um, and he was only a young guy. He was, um, probably, I think he, he said to me he was the youngest um, sworn in funeral director in New Zealand when he, he got all his um, certificates and whatnot that they get. Um, and so quite often, because it was just him and I in the house, he would be like, oh, I'm just going to go pick up a body you're going to come with. <laughs> yes. And did you always say um, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Um, unless it was in the middle of the night and I had worked the next day and things like that because he was it was a very small funeral home that he worked for and so he was always on call 24-7. Um, so we'd have the hearse at our house all the time um, and he'd quite often he'd hear sirens in the neighbourhood and quite often he'd be called out shortly afterwards. Um, but there were just a few times when the funeral the funeral home where it was was just down the road from our house and so if I was sitting around home and he had been out for a good 18 hours he'd give me a call and be like oh I'm just um and at the funeral home doing an embalming do you want to come down and hang out and so I, I quite often would just go and just just chill out but I vividly remember the very first one I went to watch right um and it was, he pre-warned me, um, I'd seen plenty of dead bodies before because, another story, I used to do catering for a funeral home with my mum. Um, but <laughs> You're like the perfect woman, Catherine, yeah. <laughs> um, but this, this embalming in particular, um, just before we went into the area where he did it, he said, look, I've just got to pre-warn you, it's not just a, a regular body that's sitting there um, and it 
there are going to be some smells and you do understand what happens in an embalming. And I'm like, oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's, fine. <laughs> it's all like, okay. I've I seen horror it. movies. Yeah. Why was it yeah, not a regular um, body? What was unusual? Um, so what had happened was it was a 19-year-old guy that had been mm. in a coma um, and because he, it had happened because he'd fallen off scaffolding at his work. So he was two days into a new job, fell off scaffolding and smashed his head in. Mm. Um, and so his skull, it was like an L shape. So oh, his, dear. yeah, it was, I can't even like describe what it looked like, but his forehead was like sticking outwards at, over his nose kind of thing. It was yeah. very, very bizarre to see. And you can't, when you see things like that, like you can't really, you, it doesn't really compute all that well because it's so obscure. Um, but I, I sat there, I was like, oh, well, yep, okay, well, that's fine. If that's the worst of it, then I'm good. Um, and then he proceeded to, um, yeah, just cut everything open. And I saw more things in that one night than I've ever seen again. Um, so he showed me in detail the inside of the skull. He had to put everything back together because they wanted an open casket. Um, so he showed me how he had to basically take the skull back apart um, and glue it back together, seeing the scalp pulled all the way over the face, um, seeing when they embalm, I mean, sorry, when they do an autopsy, they take all the organs out and put them in a plastic bag, put them in the in your chest cavity and mm. they'll sew you up. Um and I didn't even know that. So he opens the skull up and there's just this big empty cavity. I'm like, where the, where the heck's his brain? And he's like, oh, just just here. Unzipped him, essentially, and pulled out his plastic bag. And there were all his organs sitting in there. And then he proceeded to open the bag and chop up all these organs with a big pair of scissors and then poured in um, some, some chemical. I'm not sure what it was, but he said it breaks it all down. Um, so that when they throw it out in the in the toxic rubbish that they dispose of, um, that all these organs broken up organs are broken down into into pretty much just liquid. Um, Wait, so do your non- do your organs not get buried with you when you get embalmed? I think mostly no. they do, don't they? I thought they made them no. whole again. No, not so when because he'd had an uh, when when he'd had an autopsy because they take all the they organs weigh everything. out. Yeah. Yeah, and Gosh. some things had been severely damaged, so they're all opened and cut opened and, you know, examined and things like that. And uh. he literally sat there with this big plastic bag just chopping up these organs. And then it's when he sewed them all back up, it was just like an empty, it was just a shell. There was hardly anything left of them. Okay, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Where are you? in the room. That's what are I'm you thinking. standing over the table like watching or are you just in a corner observing? I need to know. I'm I'm sitting it was quite a small room and I was just sitting um on a stool in the corner. Um but when he showed me how he did stuff I'd come and stand over, you know, oh. next to him and, and quite often with other bodies and things like that, if they had severe rigor, then he'd show me like you know, he'd get me to feel it and be like, "This, you know, this is what it feels like." And he'd stand there, like ripping people's fingers in as many ways as he could to to try and get the rigor to, to loosen up. And it was unbelievable the things that they do. Like, did Did you think of walking out, Catherine, or were you 
just transfixed oh, yeah. by it? No, um, the moment that I couldn't, I couldn't shake for weeks and weeks and weeks was when he first opened um, up the stitches where they do the Y incision along their chest oh, and down their yes. stomach. Oh yes, I know the one. And yeah. it was the smell. The smell was horrendous, and it was because he'd been in a coma for so long. All the medication that had been in his body was just. Like he was rotten inside. It was just it, the smell was absolutely horrendous. I remember going home that night and just pouring a very, very strong vodka. <laughs> and is it so incredibly sad? It would have been incredibly sad, given yeah. he was so young. Yeah, so young, and it was his first ever job, and it was his second day at work, and oh, he wow. just fell off the scaffolding onto his head. And um, it was the family was so adamant they wanted an open casket. So he spent my flatmate spent I don't know he was there till well after midnight, so a good six hours on just preparing his body. Um, and did you and, so did you see the finished product? Yeah. And no, yeah, I did. Was it a vast imp- like? What do you think? Was it a vast improvement? Like I don't I don't it obviously was an improvement, but yeah. Does it was just, um, I mean, you can tell that he'd had a head injury, but mm. it was not, like, he did such a good job. It is absolutely amazing the work that they do, and it's literally like using super glue and tweezers and all sorts of things to, put, to make their, their faces look presentable. Um, it's restoring it dignity, like, though, in some senses, yeah. isn't it? It's restoring yeah. dignity. As, like, awful as it sounds, you're chopping up things and pulling things and gluing things it is restoring dignity and peace of mind for that family yeah and of course because they've essentially been watching this kid die for the mm. last three weeks and first of all having to make the decision to turn his life support off and then knowing that that's what he looked like because he he damaged his like he broken his skull that much so that's what he'd looked like in hospital mm. um and so if, you know, they don't want that to be their last memory of him. So he spent endless hours on that kid trying to get him to look presentable. And it was amazing, like, being able to see him take bits of skull out, that glue them back together, and then put put his head together like a jigsaw puzzle and then flip his scalp back over. Isn't that something mm. was, that we're hearing consistently as we speak to people, that the amount of care that yeah. is taken with somebody who, who has died so that, like Chanel has pointed out, so that the family can remember them in the best way. It's that humans caring for other humans, I guess, is the positive. I'm such an optimist. That's the part no, I'm taking is. from it, it the is. nice part at the end of it. Yeah. Catherine, yeah. extraordinary story. I'm sure you've got a million of them, but honestly, yeah. my stomach can't take any more than that. Oh, wow. No, it's all good. It's been great chatting to you. Oh, look, we really appreciate you getting in touch with us. It's um, been great. Catherine, uh, listening from New Zealand, which is exciting. Yeah. Yes. Hello again to all our friends in New Zealand. Thanks for chatting yeah. with us. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks, girls. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.